title for this morning's message, as you well are aware from the bulletin, is Unity Established. Unity Established. Last week, we started a mini-series on the subject, as I introduced it to you, of unity. We noted uh, that God stated, I think there is another one here, Paul, but thank you, uh, that God stated uh, that believers, that is, true believers, not just professing, but true believers are his people, those who truly belong to Christ, those who are born again, and on and on we could go with the terminology, are to be known by their love one for another. That is how believers are to be known. We are to be known by our love one for another. And that love was amplified a little bit in our text last week in that we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. If you will, that is the new part of the commandment. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. It's interesting if you just take a second on that because really what it's saying is we don't have to speak. Now there are other verses, I don't want to be mistaken on that, in which we are called to preach the gospel, which we are called to tell others, which we are told that the evidence of salvation will also be, we'll speak about it. But I want you to get that aspect of it. We don't even have to speak. What should happen is as people see us functioning, operating, day in, day out, as your neighbors observe you as a professing Christian, as they observe the local church, as they observe believers working among themselves, they should know by observation first, before we open our mouths, that we belong to Christ. That's what the Word of God tells us. However, as we noted last week in introducing this series, reality and observation shows that that's not so. Not if we're honest. Usually, professing believers are known for strife. They're known for conflict. They're known for fighting. They're known for disagreements. And they are known for divisions and endless debates. And that generally is the way people, you just have to go and listen to the public and they will tell you that. That's what they observe, right or wrong. That's what they're observing of us. They're really not observing, for the most part, that love that Christ has called us to. And I'm talking about professing believers. And it's interesting because while we are calling others to come to Christ, while we are trying to get them to embrace the truths of Christianity, while we are tr uh, trying to present the gospel to them and invite them out so that they can be exposed to the truth of the word of God, while we're doing that, our lives as a whole, basically an observation, doesn't line up. And it's not good. And what they do is they observe us. Why would I want to go believe what you believe when you can't even get along with one another? And that's really what has been part of the introduction to this series that we are now on. Now what we covered, I told you, and I will repeat this, and I want to be very brief here, but enough to get us uh, the foundation. The foundation of everything that I'm doing right now, last week, this week, is essential before we get to deal with the specifics. Because if you don't understand that, everything else is gone. Last week we noted by giving it the title Unity Lacking, that there was unity before the creation of the world. It was the unity of the Godhead, and that has always been. Also, when God decided to create man in his own image and likeness, when God created man and all there was was Adam, everything was still fine. That's the truth. That's reality, that we did have unity at that stage. However, unity was lacking as soon as the second person came along. And it doesn't mean because she was a female at all. You'll misunderstand the whole message. As soon as you had two people, period, conflict began to exist. And sin settled in. And that is where unity has been lacking ever since there has been more than one person on the face of this planet. This has been the pattern 
We have seen that, and I just gave you some brief examples because we didn't have the time to go to it. But as you go into Adam and Eve, as you go into their children, as you go on down the line, by the time you get to chapter 6, everything's wicked. You go into Noah, there's only eight people, plus Noah and his wife, and now there's still problems. And on and on it goes, and it's still true to today. Unity has been lacking. And for the most part, the pattern, while there may be harmony and occasion in, the, in a family or peace, in the world and so forth. We recognize that, but basically, ever since the fall of man, there really has been no unity. And what do I mean by unity? Unity of man with God, and even unity of man with man. There's basically been conflict, a conflict, excuse me, and there has been division and strife. Why? Well, we noted because of the heart of man. Man's heart is sinful. I will deal with that again this morning. And man has an attempt at a solution. Since he does recognize his sinful heart, he tries to appease God. How does he do that? With good works, or I'm going to use the term again, religion. His way to try to make that right, that division that happens between God and man, and even man and man, is good works. And we noted last week, we will hear it again this morning, that it will never work. Good works will never bring a person into a right relationship with God, nor will it solve the problem. It is obvious by the world that we live in. We're still living in the 21st century that far ahead, if you will, since creation. We're living this far ahead, and man is still saying man is basically good, and every time you pick up a newspaper, you check a text, you go on a computer, you, you look at the television set, you look at your own lives, you look at everything around you, you say, yeah, man's basically good. Where is it? It's just not there. The only solution to the lacking of unity has got to be God himself. Because unity began with him, and it's got to come from him. He must take action to solve it and him alone. Other than that, man will never be in harmony and unity with God, nor will he ever be in unity with one another. And that leads us to part two of the series, which is today, in which I've entitled it, Unity Established. To do that, we need to deal with, and I will give you right at the beginning, what is it that establishes unity? It is the gospel. It is the gospel. That is it. It is the action of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, to understand that, we have to understand several things. Number one, the condition of man since the fall. We have to understand that. What is it? All men are sinners and have come short of the glory of God. Turn with me to Psalm 14 for a minute. I'll come back to Ephesians. But Psalm 14. In Psalm 14, we read this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So if you, by the way, and there are many still that say there's no God, that's easy. You're a fool. It's that simple. Okay? You say, I don't think I am. Well, you are. All right. You come down to verse 2. That's settled. Verse 2. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are what any who understand, who seek after God, and what's his conclusion? They have all turned aside together. We can observe this. God does, though. They have become corrupt. There is what? No one who does good, not even one. Why does he put not even one? In case somebody was going to debate, well, what does he mean by no one does good? Not one. That's what he means. It means what he says. It's very clear. We find that's also true in the book of Romans. I won't turn there, but Romans chapter 10, verse 23 says, all, what does he mean? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't mean all. Yes, he does. He means every single person, what, has sinned. I don't know anyone that debates that. Anyone, everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. We do not measure up to God's standards. We do not measure up there. We as individual people, in today's society, people want to say <clears throat> that men are basically good and we blame everything on our ancestors, our upbringing, our community. Everything is everybody else's fault but us. Where do you think that started? The first time sin came in. What happened? 
Well, Satan came along. That guy did it, right? Uh, you, know, you know, let's get into Adam. What did he do? It's that wife you gave me. You know, the wife, yeah, no, no, it's Satan. He came along. And the blame shifting starts immediately. No wonder. Who did it? You got it you, is your household like that at all? Who did that? I don't know. Not me. Okay, I didn't do it. What happened? Well, if you didn't put the gla glass of uh, milk there, it wouldn't have got spilt in the first place. Did you knock it over? Yeah, but someone tickled me. It's their fault. And on and on it goes. It go we blame shift. And that is what we do. People turn around. I didn't commit the murder at all. By the way, I didn't commit murder, but you know what I'm talking about. Somebody, you get on the stand, no, I didn't commit murder when they did. Or I didn't do this, or I didn't do that. We blame shift all over the place. Man does not want to admit he's a sinner. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 15, in case you're saying, as you sit here this morning, by the way, you know, well, it's, you know, not too bad because I haven't murdered anyone, and, uh, you know, I haven't gone out, I haven't committed adultery, and, uh, you know, I'm a pretty good guy, a pretty good woman, okay? Let's try Matthew 15 for a second. And it doesn't sound like unity yet, Pastor. We're going to get there. But if you don't understand our condition, you won't get there. In Matthew chapter 15, I want you to look at verse 18 this morning. But the things which proceed out of the mouth come from where? The heart. That's what defiles a man. It says, and those defile the man. Why? For out of the heart, uh-oh, comes evil thoughts, murders, adulterers, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things that defile a man. To eat with unwashed hands, which is the context of what was going on, does not defile a man. And the Lord's, well, the reason I want to go to these verses, you may say outwardly I haven't done certain things. But inwardly, have you ever thought evil against someone else? Have you ever hated somebody else? Have you ever thought sexual thoughts toward anybody else? Have you ever thought about stealing? Have you ever envied in your heart? And the answer is yes, 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 yes. And there isn't anyone that can get away from that. See, we're sinners by nature. And in Ephesians chapter 5, what we, uh, sorry, chapter 2, that we saw this morning, we saw that it said, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Because of our sins, we are dead. What does that mean? Because the consequence, that's point number two. In understanding the condition of man since the fall, we are all sinners. Well, fine, I'm a sinner. What does that mean? That means that the wages of sin, there are consequences. And in John, uh, sorry, uh, Romans chapter 6, it says the wages of sin is death. What do you mean death? It means exactly what it says. There are two things. Spiritually dead, that's why you don't get into the presence of God right now. That's why Adam and Eve had to leave the Garden of Eden. That is why they had to be cast out. Before that, before sin had entered, when it was Adam and the Lord, they walked in the garden, they talked, everything was in harmony. Once it got broken, death set in because of man's sin. And also, physical death follows. And that's why everyone in this room, anyone that hears this disc or tape or whatever it's going to be put on, they, the same thing, they will all die. Because there's a consequence that comes with sin. And God says that it is death. It is separation from God, the inability to be in his presence. Thus, there is no unity. There is death from mankind. So the spiritual death is separation from God. The physical death is separation from this world in which God put us, in which our bodies were designed to function in. And we will all face that. Now, can God just overlook sin? Can he just say, well, people talk about God's love, and I'll deal with that. Well, can God's love just overlook it and say, you know, well, I know who Johnny is, and I know who Sarah is, and I know who these, these people are special. Uh, we'll just overlook their sin. If he did that, he wouldn't be a just God. He cannot. He cannot overlook it. He cannot dismiss it. And that's where the good news comes in. That's where the good news comes in. And that's what the gospel is. The word gospel is nothing new to you. you I understand you know what it means, but I want you to understand also how that is what unites us. The word gospel means good news. 
God is absolutely, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. That's why I didn't have you flip over to that Ephesians passage. You're in Matthew. You go to Matthew chapter 5 for a minute. I want you just to see this. Matthew chapter 5. Go down to verse 48. It says this, Therefore, and you can look at the context, okay? It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, you are to be perfect. Or literally, you shall be perfect, if you want to put it that way. As your heavenly Father, notice this, is perfect. We ought to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. What do you mean perfect? He is holy. He is just. And if you want to understand God and you want to understand the gospel, you first of all have to understand why God had to act and why God just couldn't forgive sin. Why didn't he just forgive it and why didn't he just forget it? If he did, he wouldn't be just, but he's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. And many in this world who are saying, listen, I believe in God. Their concept of God is not a just God, but he is. He can't overlook sin. He can't just push it aside. That's not justice. Justice is it must be dealt with. And the consequence is death. He cannot overlook sin. Yet, part of the good news is not only that God is just, that is part of it. He can't overlook sin. But he loved us and he intervened for us. Remember what we saw last week in the foundation? What is it? God's got to be the one to take action. Why? We're all sinners. We can't take action. If you are sitting here this morning and you're at least willing to admit that in your thought process or in your inner heart, you've had sin in your life. I don't care whether it was when you were a kid or how old you are now. If you're willing to admit that, how are you going to take care of it? You say, well, I'm going to be as good as I can be. You can't take that away. You can't take away the sin you've already committed. You can't do it. That's why your solution, whether it's to read your Bible every day, go to church every day, do a, something good, take a person across the street, you know, grab that cat before he gets hit by the car, whatever it is, all of that's fine, but it's not going to take away the sin that's in your heart. It's not going to solve the problem. God's got to do it. And God's love is seen all the way back in the book of Genesis. And I'll just give you a note. You don't have to turn there. Genesis chapter 1. When in verse 26, his first part of his love was seen in which after creation, he looked and said, let's create man in our image and likeness. That's love. And then by the time you move on, you find out that everything was very good as God saw his creation, meaning man. His love was seen way back then. But he had to intervene. He had to intervene in our life while we were sinners. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. If God doesn't intervene, folks, all we do is live in this world, die, and then spend eternity separated from God and in punishment. You say, why in punishment? Because the wages of sin is death, and that part of that death is also spiritual death and eternal punishment being separated from God and as we know, as the scriptures reveal it to us, it even involves pain and suffering and na gnashing of teeth. So God's got to do something. Well, he loved us. How did he intervene? In Romans chapter 5, look at verse 6. For while we were still, what's the next word? Helpless. You might have a different word depending on your translation, but it's helpless. What does helpless mean, Pastor Dan? Listen carefully. Helpless means Helpless. I can't help myself. I'm helpless. Helpless is like you see a person hanging on a cliff and he's got his fingers there. He's helpless. If somebody doesn't come along, guess what? You're going. Or it's even worse. It's after the release and you're now you're going down, falling, and you're about to die. That's helpless. That's the condition of man. Helpless. At the right time, look at verse 6. Christ died for the what? Catch that. Ungodly. That is when we saw last week, unity was broke by sin. Ungodliness, verse 8. But God demonstrates, watch this, I just talked about it, his own love. How did he demonstrate his own love? Toward us. In that while we were sinners, not when we were good, not when we fixed our life up, not when we took a bath, not at all. 
While we were sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is seen in that he reached out when we were helpless. He reached out while we were sinners. And in case we don't catch it, it's even worse. Verse 10, if while we were what? Enemies, helpless, ungodly enemies, we were reconciled to God. How? Through the death of his son. And how did God intervene? He intervened in his love and then he saw our helpless condition. He saw that we were already dead spiritually. He saw that we were without hope, no way like that person falling from the cliff, absolutely helpless and in a condition of sin. And he intervened how? He says in these passages, through Christ, through sending his son, John 3:16. For God so loved the world, there's the word love again. How? God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, his unique son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How did God love us? How did he intervene? What's the good news? He sent his son, Jesus Christ. Now, very important point. People today are saying, yes, I've believed in Jesus. I believe Jesus. I believe that he came. I believe he's a person. I believe he's a nice prophet. I believe he's a nice man. And then people are going around and saying, well, that person's obviously born again. That person is saved. That person's on his way to heaven, Pastor Dan. How do you know? They believe in Jesus. Question, what Jesus? What Jesus? The only Jesus that you can believe in to have eternal life and the only good news is the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible. Who is that? Here's the Jesus of the Bible, and this is part of the gospel. Fully God, fully man. To believe that Jesus Christ is just a prophet, a mere good man, a one of the angels, or anything of that nature is not to believe the gospel. When you believe the gospel, you believe that Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man. Why? Or you don't have a savior. God had to intervene by coming into this world and taking on flesh. Go with me to Colossians chapter 2. I want you to see these verses clearly. Colossians chapter 2. Is part of the gospel message that Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man? Absolutely. Because if, I just, if God just says, I sent my only begotten son, and you don't understand what only begotten means, that is unique, then anybody can be a savior. Muhammad could be a savior. Buddha could be a savior. You could be a savior. No, not at all. The only savior can be the one that God sent, and the only one that God sent was his son, who is co-equal with the father who took on flesh. And how do we know that? Because he revealed it to us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, I think is the clearest verse I'm probably going to give you. For in him, who is the him? Well, we don't have to guess. Verse 9 goes back to verse 8, according to Christ. He's dealing with Jesus Christ all throughout from chapter 2, verse 1, all the way down. He's dealing with Jesus Christ. For in him, watch, some of the fullness of the deity. Is that what your Bible says? A little most of, guess what? All of the fullness of the deed. What does that mean? Maybe it means some. No, it means all. All of the fullness of the deity, all of the fullness of the deity dwells in him. How? In bodily form. You can't get any clearer. You say, I don't think that's pretty clear. Well, it is. All of the deity of the Godhead dwells in Jesus Christ. That's why when he came into the world, that's what it says in Matthew. It says this is Emmanuel, God with us. This was not just anybody that came in when we celebrate Christmas time. This was God who created us in his image, taking on the image of his creation that is in the form of flesh when he came to this earth. Why? Because man was helpless, because man was an enemy, because man was dead. The good news is we would be going nowhere, but God did intervene. He intervened by sending his son, Jesus Christ. If you still don't have it, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. So part of the good news is he loved us. Part of the good news is he sent his son. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, In these last days he's spoken 
unto us by his Son, watch, whom he appointed heir of all things through, listen, through whom he made the world. Who made the world? God created the heavens and the earth. Through whom did he create it? Jesus Christ. He's got to be equal with God. Well, I still don't get it. Verse 3. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he did his work, he sat down with the right hand of the majesty on high. What's he saying? He created the world, and the only reason these planets aren't going together and we don't fall off, it's not because of gravity. Jesus Christ is holding the gravity in its place. And Philippians chapter 2, I won't turn there, but Philippians chapter 2 makes it very clear that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he gave it up to come to this world and to take on flesh. It was God that came in. And he was born of a virgin, by the way. If he wasn't born of a virgin, he would be a mere man like you or I. That is why the virgin birth is so essential to the gospel. And that's what you find out in every one of the gospel accounts. That when he came into the world, he wasn't born of Joseph. In fact, Joseph said, I'm in trouble. My wife, who he was espoused to, is expecting, and it's not from me. And the scriptures go even further, and it says, not only is that not from you, Joseph, it is from the Holy Spirit, because it is the Spirit of God who intervened, and Mary has not known a man. And Mary herself says, how could I be pregnant? I haven't known a man. The scriptures go even further. And it says very clearly that even after she had Jesus Christ in her bosom, she never had sexual relations with a man until after his birth. You can't get any plainer. It's a virgin birth. It's a miracle. Yes. God intervened. Does it end there with Jesus Christ coming in? No. The gospel includes his work. What is it? He satisfied the righteousness of God by paying the penalty for sin. How did he do that? In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, we read it. Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death. Christ died for us. He faced the penalty. God couldn't overlook sin. God came in and intervened, and he took on flesh himself, and he went to the cross of Calvary and died and paid the penalty for sin. That is why, and I know you know it, but 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, let me read it to you quickly, says this. It says, he made him, that is Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, that is, he wasn't a sinner like you and I, to be sin on behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Where? In him. Exclusively in him. Exclusively in him. So his work is, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a summary. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. His work in the gospel is right here. First Corinthians chapter 15. For I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And here it is. For I delivered to you the first, uh, as the first importance, what I also received. What is it? That Christ, there it is, died. How would he die? for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. All of the Old Testament pointed to this. All of the Old Testament pointed to the fact that God was the only savior. We saw that last week. He had to intervene. He did it by coming here. And what happened was he paid the penalty for sin. And that is the cross of Jesus Christ. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. And my friend, this is a gift. Go back to your responsive reading, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, go there. And I'm going to read Romans chapter 5 to you while you turn in there. Romans chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Listen to them. It says this, but the free gift is not like the transgression. 
For if by the transgression of one, the many died, that includes you and me, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of God. The gift of what? One man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. And what he's pointing out is it is a gift. In Ephesians chapter 2, you just read it, verses 4 to 9, look at verse 4. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, that's our condition, made us alive together with Christ, how by grace you have been saved. The end of verse, uh, go down to verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should be able to boast. None of us can boast. It's a free gift. So God loved us in sending his son. The work of Jesus Christ is his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's the good news. All according to the scriptures. And what God offers is the free gift of salvation. Now, is it universal? Yes and no. What do you mean? Listen carefully. It is universal and then the message is to be preached to all nations. It is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It doesn't matter who we preach it to. It is universal message. Does everybody end up in heaven? No. Is it universal salvation? Absolutely not. Why? You have to believe and you have to appropriate it. That is how it happens. It is the means by which God has chosen for that gift to be received. What is it? It is faith. It is belief. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shouldn't perish, but have eternal life. Okay, it is explained actually pretty well in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, that we need to trust in Christ. Not in ourselves, not in religion, not at all. And again, is the concept that everybody's going to end up in heaven? No, it is not. And I'll come back to that in a second. So a summary of the good news is that by grace alone, that means a free gift. By the work of God alone, salvation comes. How does it come? Through Christ alone. It very clearly says in Acts that there is no other name given us among men whereby we must be saved. You can go trusting in yourself, in your religion, in other people. It will never get you in a right relationship with God. It will never atone for your sin. It won't do anything. It comes by gift of God, and it only comes through Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except to be through me. It's exclusive. And it only happens through faith alone. It isn't a work that we do. It's a gift of God. It's grace alone. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through his person alone. And it is through faith alone. Now, I want you to catch two things here. One, that is what creates and establishes unity. What is it? This new unity, now go to Ephesians chapter 4. This new unity comes when a person appropriates the gift of God. Not on their works, but by faith believes the message. And when that happens, God takes that which was in disunity with God, disunity with one another, and he unites them. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that establishes unity. And there are seven ones in verses 4 to 6. There's one body, one spirit. We're called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. And personally, by the way, because I can see the way time is going, um, there's thoughts on that baptism. I think it, in the context, it's clearly spiritual baptism myself. One God and one Father of all who is over all and in all and through, uh, through all and in all. And I'll deal with the universal uh, salvation concept again in a moment. But I want you to see the seven unities. We can only have an outward unity with one another, and we can only have a unity with God because God creates it inwardly in a person. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says that we are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. What do you mean old things? We were dead. 
We were without hope. We were without Christ. We were living in this world as a human being born only once physically. And a person must be born again to be united to God. A person must be born again to have forgiveness of sins. And the only way a person gets to be born again is by trusting by faith in the promise of Jesus Christ who God sent out of his love and to accept that free gift. And when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to see what happens. Don't lose this, Christian. Christian. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. I'm going to go right to the heart of it. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. That is, Jesus Christ did this. And gave him, who is it? Jesus Christ, as head over all things to the church. Now watch this. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is the head of the church, not any pastor, not any clergy, not any pope, not anybody at all but Jesus Christ. And he is the head of it, and it's one body. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, there are many members, but yet there's one body. We are united. The, un the unity happens because God does the work. The unity happens because we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter, and you'll see that in a minute, where you were born, how old you are, what your nationality is. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, when a person by faith in Jesus Christ believes and accepts God's free gift of salvation, he's put into one body. And we are unity. And there is only one spirit given to us. That's in chapter 1. Look at verse 14. Who has given as a pledge, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, verse 13, in him also, after listening to the message of truth, notice this, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed. Does that mean you're put in a jar? No. You were given the seal, the mark of God. What is it? The Holy Spirit. Watch. In him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of God's by his glory. He purchased us. He redeemed us. He put us in the body, and he's given us one spirit. That's why in Ephesians chapter 4, you've got one spirit. You've now got one Lord. You've now got one hope. We have been brought in a unity. We're going to see this. Catch it now, though. As Christians today, we are not to establish unity in the church. It's already done. We are to maintain the unity. We are to work diligently to keep it because God's the one who brought us together. And he established the unity. He did it. In Ephesians chapter 2, you're in the book of Ephesians. Take a look again. Go to verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. What is a person that has not accepted Christ? What is a person who is living in this world as a human being and refuses to take God's gift, tries to get to God by religion, tries to get there by good works? You want to know the truth? Throw out all your alien movies from TV and Hollywood. The true aliens are walking on this planet that look like you and I. And the reality is, watch this. It says, you were a stranger and an alien. But, contrast, now you're fellow citizens with the saints and are of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, watch this, Jesus Christ himself, the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, there isn't two buildings, there's one, being fit together, growing into a holy temple to the Lord, watch this, verse 22, in whom you also are being built together into the dwelling of God in the spirit. It's a unity. It is one body, made up of many members, yes, but one body in Christ. The new entity, the unity is established because of the work of God. What does that mean? Listen carefully. Denominational barriers are broken. 
Religious barriers broken down. Geographic barriers shattered. Ethnic backgrounds shattered. Gender, male, female, shattered. Age, young, old, in between, shattered. Social status, king, queen, pauper, shattered. How? Through the work of Christ. When a person comes to faith, go with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Stay with me. If we don't understand this, we won't understand the importance of being diligent to keep the unity of the body. We were outside of Christ with no relationship with one another. There was no unity. We didn't have unity with God. We didn't have unity with one another. But by the work of God through Jesus Christ in his love, in his death, burial, resurrection, the good news, and by faith in that, we've been united back to God. We've been united in the body of Christ. And that's why you have this verse, which is much misused today. But let me address it. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. Sounds like what you just said, Pastor Dan. Exactly. Watch. For you. Who is the you? Believers. True believers. Not just professing believers, but those who have truly trusted in Jesus Christ. Watch Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible. Fully God, fully man. Not just attaching themselves to that name but ones who have accepted Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. You, he says, are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, or you belong to Christ, then are you Abraham's descendants and heirs according to his promise. If you belong to Christ. What does that mean? Again, there's faith. There's believing the message, the good news. Now, it sounds like, Pastor Dan, that everybody's saved. Not at all. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 very quickly. Is this a universal salvation? Remember, I told you it is preached universally. Will everyone be in heaven? Are we all going up different sides of the mountain and we'll get there eventually? Does it matter whether or not you're a Buddhist? Does it matter whether or not somebody else is uh, involved with Islam or whatever? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. There is no such thing as universal salvation, meaning every human being that ever came into this world is going to end up in heaven. Well, who, who, who gave you to be the authority on it, Pastor Dan? Nobody but God. Why? Because he's the one that told us. Matthew chapter 7. Look at verses 13 and 14 first. Enter through the, what type of gate? Narrow. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. There's no other name given among men whereby we must. That sounds narrow. You're a narrow-minded bigot, Pastor Dean. No, I'm a narrow-minded Bible-believing who trusts God's message that is just Jesus Christ. For the gate is wide, watch this, and the way is broad. There's many ways. If there's a mountain that everybody's climbing, it's going the wrong place. It's called, it leads to destruction, verse 13. And there are how many? Many who enter in through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there be how many that find it? Few. Who are the few? The only ones that by God's grace, he opened up our eyes to hear the message and believed it. He did it. You say, I still don't get it. Okay, let's try verse 21. Same chapter. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Should I stop right there? It's not universal salvation at all. And the concept is not everyone's going to say that says, Lord, Lord. They're gonna, there are people that are saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in, now watch. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he'll enter. Who does the will of his Father? Those who have believed the message. Those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the narrow way. In fact, he said in John, didn't we study that? He's the door. He's the gate. Listen. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, 
Have we not prophesied in your name? Do you have this type of character on TV and on the radio today? You better believe it. We've done all kinds of things. We're prophesying. Look at this. And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many what? Miracles? Do we have miracle workers today claiming to be miracle workers and doing all this stuff in the name of God? Yeah, but watch what Jesus says. And he will declare to them what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Where are they going? Into hell. Hell is real. It's narrow, folks. This is not a universal message. It does break down all those barriers. That is why anyone who's trusted in Christ that's in this room, we come from different ages, we come from different sects, we come from different backgrounds, we come from different religious backgrounds. And what united us? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And by faith we've trusted in it, come to believe. Those in Christ are one. They're united in Christ's body. Universally in the church, whether a person's in Africa, Canada, the Philippines, Saudi Arabia, the United States of America, whether they were the apostles, whether they were the church fathers, whether they live now or whether they live in the next generation after us, if they're trusted in Jesus Christ, the true gospel of the message of the word of God, they are united in one in him. Based upon what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Not everybody accepts that. And not everybody belongs. And that's where we need to be careful. So first of all, I want you to get the progress that we've seen. God was in unity. He was in unity with Adam. As soon as we had two people on the earth, and to this day, man has sinned and come short of the glory of God, that unity with God, the unity with one another has been broken. And the only thing that can bring us back from all different parts of the world, from all different ages, from all different sects, from all different social backgrounds, status, whatever you want to get into, the only thing that can do that is the gospel of Jesus Christ because God's love intervened, sent his son, and he died on the cross and paid the penalty for sin, satisfied the justice of God. And through faith he calls people to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection as a substitutionary sacrifice. I deserved it. Christ took it for me. Who was that Christ? God, very God, and fully man. Virgin birth. That's a gospel. And when a person believes that, they come to salvation. Now, I have to end with this warning. Go with me to Galatians chapter 1. Well, Pastor Dan, and it is never, because I get this all the time. I told you we're going to try to cover everything but lay the foundations before we get into the practical aspects of even it being worked out. But Pastor Dan, then we should just be united. Isn't that what the World Council of Churches wants to do? By the way, this is the truth. There is not one week that goes by that on my desk does not come in an envelope that in the envelope I am asked as a pastor to join with all the other religions in this community and be united so that we can unite all these religions together. Shouldn't we do that, Pastor Dan, since we're all one in Christ? If you believe that, you haven't heard the message this morning. The only ones that are part of the body of Christ are those who have believed. Believe what? The gospel. Which gospel? The gospel according to the scriptures. That's why you have this. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Verse 8. But even if we... Who's we? Even the Apostle Paul says this. If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which is preached to you, he is to be anathema. He is to be accursed. He is to be damned to hell. He is to spend his life in the lake of fire. That's what it means. Anybody that preaches any other gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be accursed. As we have said before, verse 9, so say I now again, if any man preach to you the gospel contrary to that which you believe, he is to be accursed. That's pretty strong. I think it is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, listen to these words. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, 
He that died for all so that they may live no longer for themselves, but for him, that is Jesus Christ, who died and rose on their behalf. And then he talks about Jesus Christ, even him according to the flesh he came in, and that's when he leads into a new creation. The gospel of Jesus Christ must be understood as displayed by the Bible. What does that mean? We are not to unite with Jews, Mormons, Buddhists, Hindus, Islam, Jehovah Witnesses, Christ Scientists, New Age Movement, Roman Catholic, Unitarian. Listen, stay with me. Baptist, Presbyterian, Congregationalist, Fundamentalist, etc., if they are not following the gospel of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter who it is. There are many people who attach the name fundamental who don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many people who attach the name Baptist who are following religion and don't know the Savior. And certainly, if you think a Mormon believes the same gospel that you believe, then you don't believe the same gospel that I believe. Because they see Jesus Christ as nothing more than a prophet and even an angel. And Jehovah's Witnesses are not witnesses of the Jehovah that I know. Because they don't have the same one of the scriptures. You see, there's a strong thing here. Unity is only found in those who are in Christ. Unity is only found in those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. We are not to unite to any of the, one of those things. Now listen carefully. Any one or most, maybe all, of even those in this room came out of those things because he calls us while we are sinners. I came out of a Roman Catholic background. But the Roman Catholic Church doesn't have the same gospel. Theirs is one of works. So if a person had a Buddhist background, a Hindu background, had an Islamic background, had a Roman Catholic background, had a Baptist background, and then came to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, yes, they are part of the body of Christ. Because now they've come to believe the gospel. So people who have now accepted and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, but the gospel is the one that crosses all of these things and the one that also divides. It is the gospel that divides. But those who are in Christ, that is what unites. That is what brings us together. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every person that will ever be in heaven will only be those who have trusted and believed God's message. Not my message, his message. We were all sinners. God had to intervene. He did. And the only way he intervened, and the only way he ever will intervene, was sending his son. And that's good news. The problem is, man's heart, and I won't turn to it, but Romans chapter 1, if you want the reference. Man wants to believe what he wants to believe, and he professes himself to be wiser than God. I've got a better solution. And he comes up with religion. He comes up with bowing down to idolatry. He comes up with all other ways of trying to get to heaven. And he changes the incorruptible God, made like the image of man, and four-footed beast and so forth. And he changes that. And then professes himself to be wise when he's really a fool. God's message and God's good news is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you've trusted in Jesus Christ, let me start with that. You're one in the body of Christ. The people sitting on the other side of the church, the people in Africa, the people in Canada, the people in Guatemala, wherever you want to go, who have trusted in Jesus Christ, are your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you are united to them, and will spend eternity with them. And that is the bondage, not the bondage, that is the binding together that we are to, the, uni the unity that we are to endeavor to keep with one another. God did the work. And simply by faith, we trusted in him. But we're already united. How do we look at one another? Do we look at one another as a debate? Do we look at one another as someone to fight with? 
Do we look at one another that are truly part of the body of Christ that way? Or do we really look honestly? You know, you happen to be looking up here. Do you look at Pastor Dan and say, that's my brother in Christ. I need to love him. I need to embrace him. Don't everybody do that at the door? But my point is, you know what I'm saying? Because we belong together. We're a family. I didn't even know him until I came to know Christ, until I happened to come into this church. That's why when I've traveled around the world and gone to places where the other believers are, I've felt such a bond with them. Why? We're one in Christ. But I don't feel a bond to anyone who hates the gospel and has made up their own religion that is contrary to the scriptures. They're accursed. Accursed of God. Not because I say so. I don't want to unite with them. I don't want to unite with somebody else who's trusting in a Jesus that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Why? That is not part of the body of Christ. That's the type of person I separate from as far as trying to unite to do anything for God. And there are too many Christians that haven't got that discernment. We'll deal with that. What is it that unites us? And I close. I've gone over. I told you I want to make sure I cover the bases here. But the only thing that could ever unite us is a dead person. The only thing that could ever unite us as a sinner was for God to intervene. And the good news is he's done it through his son, Jesus Christ. If you're here today, let me tell you something, and you haven't trusted in Christ, you are not sure of your next breath. And if you die in that pew, and by the way, I've been in services, included one in this church, in this building, in which people have had a heart attack while the service was going on. If you die without accepting Jesus Christ, you will find yourself in the way that many go. And it won't be in the kingdom of God. It'll be in hell for all eternity. Don't push off trusting in Christ. Don't think that you're wiser than God and you've got a better plan. This has nothing to do with Pastor Dan. The good news is that Jesus Christ has paid the price and satisfied God. He died, he buried, he was risen again. Right now, he's intervening at the Father's right hand. By faith, trust in that work as the payment for sin. And you will be given forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life now. There is no purgatory. There is no second chance after you die. You either believe now or you'll spend eternity in hell. And fellow believer, if you've trusted in Christ, before we start talking about walking and functioning and getting together, realize that it's the work of God that's brought us together. Christ is the head, and he's already established the unity so that even when we didn't know one another, we can love one another because Christ has loved us, and he's brought us together. That's a foundation. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for the word of God. I thank you that it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you, Father, it does a work in my heart. Father, I have to admit, even as a pastor, there has been times that where I've disagreed with other believers and have not envisioned them as I should, as a child of God, as a member of your body, precious in your sight, And it's even led to disunity in the body because of my own attitudes, because of my own actions. Father, we fail to see the work that you've done for us. What a marvelous grace to think that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. To think that while we were without hope, enemies of God, that you would love us that much to send your son. And Father, as we've seen the justice of God and your righteousness, no wonder that Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the only plan that you have for us. And I pray that if there be any young, old, male or female today, still breathing your air that have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ, might you open their hearts to see they are without hope. There is no other way. Religion's not an issue. It's a work that you've done. Help them to appropriate that. Open up their heart that as dead people they might come to see 
and they may come to believe in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, have their sins forgiven, and be given the gift of eternal life. Do it right there in the pew for them. And I pray, Father, that we would just go out of here rejoicing because of the work that you've done, praising your name, not because of anything that man has done. For there's none of us that can boast. And help us to focus in uh, how we should be paying attention as members of the body of Christ to our head, Jesus Christ, who is over all. Dismiss us with your blessing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.